Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed. You can catch us online at sknr.net. You can catch our quarterly magazine available at Barnes & Noble and other outlets, Skewed and Reviewed the magazine. Easy title to remember. And if you are into newspapers, Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, is the online hub where you can see our film and game reviews for the eight papers in the network. Uh, definitely works well if you are not within the uh, distribution area of the print copies. So that's uh, available. And finally, you can catch me each week on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISW FM radio. Simply go to KSW.com and follow the links, or you can catch the simulcast on our page as we cover all things from movies, television, conventions, pop culture, entertainment, and much more hardware and games. So we've got uh, Michael Joseph and Justin with us this week, and we're going to be talking about some games, some movies, television, and starting off, Joseph has got uh, some hands-on time with Ubisoft's pending Immortals Phoenix Rising, and uh, what do you have to tell us about that, Joseph? This is probably one of the sleeper hits of a long time, actually. Um, I hadn't even heard about, I mean, I heard about Gods and Monsters last year, like probably everybody else did, but then not much else happened until they announced this year that they changed the name because Monster Energy, I don't know. They're they're <laughs> I think they're full of themselves these days. They they swear that Gods and Monsters the video game would cause brand confusion with their own product. Now granted they are in the video game industry now with their Let motocross game, but still. Anyways, Immortals Rise of Phoenix. Um everybody was touting it as this big Breath of the Wild clone. And while, yes, there are some elements of that in there and it has a similar feel, it is way more than that. Um, I kind of feel like it's almost Assassin's Creed meets Breath of the Wild in terms of lore and mythology and the things that you're trying to do. But it's a lot more humorous, takes itself a lot less serious than than Assassin's Creed would and probably even Breath of the Wild now um, in the Legend of Zelda series. Zeus is narrating the demo and changing things as you're going and your character is even reacting to these changes. It's actually, it's it was a pretty fun game. The mechanics were a little iffy to get used to. I'm still not used to those games where all of your attacks are on the bumpers and the triggers, but uh, it makes sense in the scope of things and how the rest of the dynamics work and probably one of the best not flying dynamic but gliding dynamic i've seen in games for a long time in terms of how seamless it goes from the gliding to the landing and vice versa um jumping between monsters and the abilities that you have of course i'm sure we have abilities that you're probably not going to unlock until at least halfway through the game but it was a good show of what to expect from the game and it being less than a month or well just over a month away actually uh, I feel it's in a really good place, and I I played it on the Stadia because that's where the the demo is available right now. But I can't wait to see what it looks like or feels like on a PS4 or even the PC. And that is uh, really interesting because that seems to be the uh, common belief from a lot of people who've seen it and played it is that it it is indeed a sleeper hit and definitely one to keep an eye out for. And of course, we'll cover that in greater detail as we get forward. But uh, the next thing up, 
is Doom the Ancient Gods Part 1, which is the first DLC expansion for Doom Eternal. And uh, I have played some of it, not a lot, because uh, time jumps are very uh, uh, tricky for me. They're like nails on a chalkboard when playing on PC with a mouse and a keyboard. And so while I've been blasting everything in sight, when you get to the puzzle parts where it's jump, jump, and hope, uh, those can get a little annoying, and so we're swinging over to Justin, who has spent more time with it. Justin, why don't you tell us what your impressions are? Yeah, so, uh, let me see here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty great. Uh, I was a huge fan of the original Doom Eternal. I'm about halfway through, maybe a little more than halfway through uh, the DLC I'm playing it on the second hardest difficulty, so um, the uh, uh, not hurt me plenty, but um, ultra violence. It is really difficult. It is probably more difficult so far than anything that was in the campaign, and I'm even counting the um, the special challenges, um, which you know those were those were pretty challenging. Um, they really throw everything at you in this DLC. The, the first level alone, there's there's battles with, um, you know, they'll throw just dozens of demons at you uh, with two tyrants at the same time. You know, the cyber demons, but, you know, they had to rename them because they already had the cyber demon in the first game. Uh, but it's pretty great. You know, I, I really like the gameplay loop of Doom Eternal. I think they really improved everything um, compared to the first game. Uh, it is obviously very fast paced. You have to keep moving at all times. I do agree, you know, some of the platforming uh, I have mixed feelings about because uh, I do really appreciate um, kind of intricate level design. I think they they really pay homage to a lot of the old Doom games that had pretty kind of labyrinthian um, levels. And I think that uh, they kind of try to do that with, um, you know, with this where they have levels that kind of like loop loop on, upon themselves. And, you know, it unfortunately it. it makes it so that in order to do that they and to make it interesting they have to kind of have uh, more verticality and you know you jumping and uh you know getting on platforms and stuff which i'll be honest yeah it's it's definitely the the most the least interesting portion of the game but uh i do appreciate that they try to put a lot of thought and uh and care into the level design as opposed to just you know a straight corridor uh that being said, you know, that the combat is absolutely great. That the DLC doesn't really add anything, you know. Um, I guess that would be one tiny gripe. Uh, there's no new weapon, there's no new ability or anything. There's a couple of new demons, kind of. There's like some variations on existing demons. Um, I guess technically there are a couple new demons, they're just not really, um, they're not really like to the caliber of like a, like a brand new enemy. Uh, there's just a few demons that kind of, um, you know, force you to use certain mechanics to beat them. Uh, but all in all, I, I'm liking it a lot. I mean, from a story standpoint, too, uh, I think they're doing some interesting things with with the lore that they set up with Doom Eternal. I think they're uh, kind of taking this uh, series in, into some interesting places uh, with this DLC. I mean, they kind of uh, uh, foreshadowed a lot of it in Doom Eternal itself, so... Uh, so far, I mean, I, I've heard that there's some twists towards the end, and I'm not quite there yet. But uh, so far, you know, a lot of the things that they've revealed are, you know, things that uh, 
that they kind of alluded to in in the uh, the main game itself. So so far, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying it a lot. I mean, the first level alone, uh, it's like on this sort of um, massive station that's at the surface of the ocean, and then you go down and you're at the bottom of the ocean. It's pretty cool. It's really it's really inventive. So uh, if you liked Doom Eternal uh, and you like the challenge, I mean, it is more challenging than anything in the campaign so far. So uh, I, I highly recommend it. My big thing are those darn turrets because they take a lot of damage to go down and you can't easily ignore them considering they just throw wave after wave after wave, even for the campaign at you. But it is definitely interesting. Now, uh, moving on this week on the 29th, we are going to see the release of Watchdog Legion. So, uh, Michael or Joseph, do either one of you want to take this one on? Oh, so I'm excited I'll, about this one. Go ahead. Yeah, I, oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I'm excited about this one. This is one of my, um, the ones that I've been looking forward to the most uh, from the upcoming games, I think. Uh, and I'm just really excited. I, we've seen a lot of, you know, of the dynamics about how the different characters kind of play out and the different things that can be done in the game. Again, a lot of that stuff was seen um, at E3 where a lot of the, you know, they have the demos and they have the professional players doing stuff. So it's really kind of key on how that translates into an actual, you know, person playing the game. But no, I think I, the environment looks amazing. I really like how, how it feels. It almost has a cyberpunky feel to it. Um, and it also has a, it has a pretty dark kind of, mode to it and lots of diversity in the characters that you can play so yeah it's one that i'm um, very excited to to get my hands on and, and play it and joseph your take see when i look at it and from everything i've read and heard so far I'm, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is like those sons of bitches did it uh in the fact that you can play pretty much any npc in the game and they all I mean, there's different classes, obviously. I mean, it's not like everybody's completely different, but everybody has their own skill set. You know, if you want to play the grandmother and, you know, blend in or I was watching a video the other day where they they were using one of those human statues like you see in like a park just performing for money completely blends into the environment. And then on the other hand, they have a spy on their team and they have this on their team. And it's really cool the way you can build up these teams to what the way that you play and not the way the game wants you to play, which kind of felt like the previous iterations did that a lot. They were fun games still, but I think this one gives a lot more control to the player and the fact that they were able to do this and from everything I've seen, do it so well. I'm super stoked about this game. Yeah, it, it looks fantastic, and I'm really anxious to see how the system uh, and the game has evolved. You know, it's funny, Michael, we look back to being at E3 and taking photos with the props and seeing everything like you mentioned. And doesn't it seem like a lifetime ago now? <laughs> and it was only not even a year and a half ago. No, it does. But, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, I can't believe this game is coming out so soon. And then I'm like, oh, it's been out. It's been announced for a while now. So I'm again, it's it does seem like it was forever ago that we got to see some of this. And it was delayed. Let me remind you of that. It was yep. supposed to be out last spring. So Yep, that <laughs> is true. So hopefully the wait will be worth it. Now, another game that uh, has Legion's uh, very loyal fans is For Honor. And we were updated this week that For Honor is getting a brand new um has, I should say, speaking the present tense versus the past, has a brand new Halloween-themed uh, 
activity going on. And so essentially, if you're a fan of taking your gigantic swords and hacking other players to pieces, and yes, as Michael and I know from our uh, last play test over at E3 uh, with Ubisoft, there is a lot more to it than that. But Monsters of the Other World is arriving. And uh, who wants to take that one on? So I'll start with this one, too. And, and yeah, you mentioned E3. I, you know, For Honor was one of those games that I've had for a while. I, I never really had much of a chance to get into it and play it until we were at E3. And it, it was amazing how much fun that was. And there is something to be said when you're playing with a bunch of people on your end and the other, the other team is across the table from you because um, you get to hear kind of the interactions that people are having. Um, it, it kind of bring, harkens back to the old land day, you know, the land party days, right? Where everybody brings their mm -hmm. computers together and you have that, that interaction. So I don't know if, if that made the enjoyment of the game for me that much more, uh, but it's something that I, you know, I still think about today. And to be fair, I, I haven't played it much since those, since that time and a lot of other things have come up, but I really like the, the idea that they're doing here. I like the whole, you know, they're replacing some of the, the you know characters with skeletons and monsters that are that you have to defend against, um, and it kind of you know the Halloween themes are always kind of fun. You know we see this in a lot of other games like um, you know Borderlands Three for example use that where they they have Halloween events and they swap out things and they make you know they bring some interest to the events in the holidays. And this one looks like a really interesting take on the whole premise of you know the the, the hoarding armies that are coming to break down the castle walls are now these. Um, you know, monsters that you have to defend and, and defeat against um, almost brings a, a, a gothic horror kind of feel to it. So, no, I'm pretty excited to uh, to see this. I, I really don't know that I'll get an opportunity to play it just like anything else, but um, it is one of those games that definitely intrigues me and, and, again, was a lot of fun when we got to play it. Absolutely. Now, does anyone else have anything uh, they wanted to add to on that? Yes, my take on it was Michael was definitely right. It was very much like a LAN party. And it was also interesting, too, because we had representatives from all over the world. So you heard the various accents and people uh, strategizing and some were even using their, uh, you know, native language and stuff to, to plan things out. And it was just so much fun to do that. And I remember later in the afternoon when we came back to play the division two and here I am who played through the original on a mouse and keyboard, desperately trying to figure out how the controls for it work on an Xbox uh, controller. But, you know, again, big group setting, a lot of fun. So really interesting. Now, before we move on to the next topic, I did want to briefly mention, I believe I am the only one to have played this since I just installed it the other day, but season two for Zombie Army 4 Dead War, one Michael and I played the original game at E3, had a nice play test with Rebellion, uh, who let us capture it, so we've played through the game, uh, we've played through the season one, four DLCs, this is the first of two DLCs that also comes with various cosmetics and such that is available for the game, and the new mode is, well, the new map is called Damnation Valley. It picks up at the conclusion of the storyline and tells us that there's still more hell spots for us to contend with, which, of course, means more demons. Now, uh, for me, I find it extremely challenging to the point where you can't really do this on your own. Um, you definitely need at least one other player because there are times you're going to go down and having somebody to help revive you definitely helps. And some of these maps, I'm, uh, all the way, I'm playing on the fourth one right now of, of 
you know, of the four, it's amazing how much they throw at you. And you're sitting there going, how many armored giants can you put on a screen at once? But, you know, there were various traps, like turning on fan blades and basically cutting them in a mulch was a lot of fun. Uh, but lots of action, a lot of good stuff. So if you're a fan of Zombie Army uh, 4, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Swinging over to the next release, this is one we can all definitely have fun with. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is coming soon. And we've got news this week from Ubisoft of the post-launch plans for the game. And uh, who wants to start? So I, I'll start on this one, too. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting. We we got to a little bit more of a glimpse of the new of the DLC contact that will be coming with the season pass and, and the uh, the ultimate purchase and those kind of things. Um, one is, uh, which I think is it's interesting, it kind of delves into a bit more of the lore of the Vikings. Um, you know, one the one that's going to be released on, on day one, which is The Legend of Beowulf, um, to kind of go through, you know, Beowulf, for those who are familiar with the, the epic, and, and kind of, you know, brings into some of that lore and some of that history. Um, with the other expansions announced, um, Wrath of the Druids in the spring, and then the Siege of Paris in the summer, uh, which kind of, again, gives you, it's always kind of good to get some feedback on what DLC is coming out. It kind of helps make that purchase of a season pass a little bit more, uh, gives you a little bit more information. I think the one thing that Ubisoft is going to get some, some, you know, crap over, which we, you know, you're all, everybody has their own opinion about DLC, in particular day one release DLC. Um, Legend of the Beowulf Quest is, a, is going to be a day one release. Um, DLC, and again, I think that's going to be like any of these other things where they say, well, if they're releasing it day one, why isn't it included in the initial part price of the game? Um, there are others who are going to buy the season pass anyway, so they're excited for that extra, you know, gameplay that's going to be available for them. But yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to be kind of, I don't want to say historical approach, but kind of, a, you know, kind of delve into some of the, the legends and some of the history of the Vikings. Um, and, and, you know, kind of feature that that lore that surrounds them. So it's it's exciting. It's, it's a really pretty big, diverse uh, DLC content that we can expect. So all in all, it looks like it'll be a pretty good release for them. And, and again, the Assassin's Creed um, universe continues to expand, and that's always a good thing. And uh, Joseph or Justin, anyone else have comments they wanted to uh, add on that one? Uh, he pretty much echoed everything I had to say, especially with the day one DLC, like, yeah, at this point, what's the point of the DLC? It should be part of the game. And I'm one of those people that I actually defend DLC a lot. But if you're going to release this on day one, it should be in the game. That's all I really have to say. <laughs> yeah, and I think what I'm interested the most in um, from a technical side of this game is I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like on the next generation systems. I think uh, being able to, you know, you're going to see, I, I'm sure we are going to start to see that week of November 10th through probably, I would say, November 20th, maybe even November 30th into the new year, depending on what the supply line is like. You're going to see all kinds of, hey, this is the game running on a PS4, this is it on a PS4 Pro, and this is it on a PS5, or you're going to get the, you know, here it is on an Xbox One, Xbox Series S, Xbox Series, uh, 
you know, X and so on and so forth. And it'll be very interesting to see what the enhanced version of the game looks and plays like. But you guys definitely brought up an interesting point. Um, you know, I hadn't planned on covering this this week, but, you know, there's a lawsuit brewing up in Canada with EA over uh, the loot boxes and stuff like that. And yeah. somebody said to me, well, this is going to be a potential game changer. What's going to happen? And my response to it is I said, well, companies are not going to stop looking for ways to monetize the games. They're going to continue to have new uh, options. But what I think they might do is, you know, take a look at it, what we had with Zombie Army 4, where the DLC pack was a new mission, new cosmetics, and new weapons. And I think they might do that because you'll have people like me who traditionally would say, I don't really care about cosmetics and new weapons. It's nice, but eh. But then if they bundle it in and say, oh, and you get a new episode with it as well, then all of a sudden it's more appealing. And, you know, I, I'd be one that's more inclined to buy a new episode and, oh, yeah, I get cosmetics as well than I would to do it. And I think it's just a case of the industry evolving. We've heard all these stories about $69.99 being the new price point for AAA titles for the games on the new system. There's been some pushback to that. We've, we know people get upset over microtransactions and loot boxes, and I think this is just one way that the industry is saying, we got a really hot title here, let's see how people feel about this. Now, I'm curious how many people are gonna buy it ahead of launch, and how many people are gonna jump in on it once, the, um, once they finish the core campaign. So, a lot of stuff there. And uh, Justin, before we move on, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? Yeah, so um, I'm kind of cautiously curious about uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I, you know, I, I do like the idea of the DLC plans that they, they have. Um, and, you know, to echo Michael and Joseph, uh, I completely agree. I, I, I am a defender of DLC, but day one DLC, I think, you know, I think there's definitely some some issues with that and some really sound arguments against it. Um, it one, one comment I just had about this Assassin's Creed um, franchise in general, it, it's like, it's kind of shocking to me how popular it got because if you remember when the, when the first game came out uh, or was coming out, uh, there was a lot of skepticism that um, games set in like a really historical time period, like a time period period, game would uh would be successful um and obviously this genre has shown or this franchise has shown that that's absolutely not the case um i was a huge fan of, like the early games but you know i, I think with like a lot of people uh, i've definitely gotten burnt out on it um and i was a huge apologist for even the first game which had its issues but uh i loved the idea behind it and i i was really a huge believer in in its um and its vision of that it had uh but you know just like with a lot of franchises this the annual release schedule really burnt me out pretty bad so the last one i actually played was was black flag so that was quite a while ago so you know and i know like the newer ones have been pretty well received uh i know there's quite a few people who liked odyssey and um origins and i've been curious to play them but i still just haven't really jumped back in uh this one, you know, I'm I am looking at it, and uh, it does look like it's building on the framework of Origins and Odyssey. 
So I, I think from what I've heard, it looks like if you enjoyed those games, this is probably in that same vein. Uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm, I'm kind of looking at it, and maybe this is the one that will have me jump back into this into the franchise again. But um, but I guess we'll see. See, for me, it's it that's it's those period pieces. It's depending on the time that they're showing. My favorite so far has been Syndicate, and it's because I like the London setting, and I'm looking forward to this because of the Viking setting. Odyssey and Origins, they were fun for me, but like they didn't have the lasting appeal like Syndicate did. Yeah, that's a very good point, too. But I think it's nice to see that they are at least trying to mix it up a little bit and evolve it. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, the uh, next thing we have is Call of Duty Modern Warfare uh, has put out a brand new Halloween update for the Warzone. And uh, this is called The Haunting of Verdusk. So what they've done is they've made Leatherface as well as uh, Jigsaw's puppet from the Saw films, uh, cosmetics as well as uh, characters you will run into in the various things. There is a, a war zone. There's, of course, Plundered. And these are also set at night, so you have a Halloween-ish setting. There is a zombie mode you can play that if you get taken out, you become a zombie and you have to play the game out as a zombie unless you collect a couple of vials that will uh, you get from dispatching enemy players. That will restore you to humanity. Uh, winning team is the last player, uh, last human player uh, left alive. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this was I was playing uh, Plundered the other day, which is one of my my favorite modes on that, where you run around and you go around the map, you can uh, get loot boxes and stuff, and it's appealing because you can mix it up and do a lot of combat, or you can actually go through it and get a top ranking by not firing a single shot, uh, just by being very clever, getting to the loot boxes and making sure they're extracted and i thought it was a lot of fun because it was in the darkness they had little twists like they had these greenish ghosts that would appear on the countryside or in the windows and stuff like that and you could hear people freak out and start shooting at them and that allowed you to oh another player over the hill like that and that sort of thing so i thought that was a really nice uh halloween update but that brought me to what i wanted to discuss for the next thing and that was the news that apparently in the upcoming Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, in the zombie mode, which will be available for everybody regardless of platform, there is going to be a special mode of play for the zombie mode that is going to be available as a timed exclusive for one year for PlayStation players only and needless to say that has been met with a lot of outcry from the gaming community you have people like myself who essentially that when a new game in the series arrives we move on to that and do not go back and play the other one i in fact even delete the old game off my system and then concentrate fully on this there was one exception when uh, one of them released way down the line. They released, uh, I think, six, seven months after the new game launched. They they released an updated version of something, had to reinstall it to play that a bit. But there you have it. So moving forward, um, who wants to open up the discussion on this one? Yeah, the meltdown on the Xbox subreddit is actually kind of funny because 
they forget that it wasn't that long ago that Xbox is the one that had the exclusives with Call of Duty and everything like that. Um, I think that it's funny because the console world, it, I mean, these exclusives are no nothing new, but the length of this one surprises me, and they're starting to get a taste of kind of what it's like to be a PC gamer these days with the Epic Game Store and Steam and all these timed exclusives there as well. Um, honestly... I could care less. <laughs> uh, I'm not a huge Call of Duty fan. I play for the magazine, but in my off time and my leisure, I don't really go to it. Although I will say that the Cold War beta has me interested because it's, they've actually made some decent changes since the last time I played one um, in game modes and everything. But it's just I kind of laugh at the at what's going on with it. I don't think it should be done. But it's it's interesting to see the backlash from the Xbox players who used to tout the fact that they have these exclusives. Okay, and uh, Michael or Justin, who else wants to do, chime in on this? Yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, my my whole point, and and again, I'm this doesn't really affect me either. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Call Call of Duty, you know, Cold War, but I I play it more for the regular, you know, deathmatch and that kind of thing. And the story in this one, in particular, the story campaign it interests me. So I don't really care, um, and and likely I'll be playing it on PC anyways. So you know, you know. But it kind of goes back to um, what Joseph was kind of talking about with the timed exclusive stuff, and and really about how I, I don't want to get in too much, but anti-consumer that is. And I think the biggest problem, and they yes, all do yeah. it. You know, I mean, they all do it. I, I'm not going to say Sony's it's Sony's problem or it's Microsoft's problems or it's Epic Store's problem because honestly they all do it but the reality is we and maybe this is me being a little bit op optimistic but I think we should be at a point or we're getting to a point where the, the what you're playing the game on should matter less than being able to play the game with your friends and be able to play against people um, that's why I'm a big proponent of you know cross play type stuff because I have friends who are are Sony you know fanboys I have friends who are Xbox fanboys whatever people that only play on PC and, and I don't want to, and, and I'm somebody for me personally, I'm somebody that'll buy all the consoles at some point just because I, I do that so I can play the exclusives and because yep. it's something that I, you know, I want to be able to play with friends, but it is, it, it's kind of a problem when I have friends who want to play um, Borderlands three, for example, and we, and I have to play, buy it on PlayStation to play with them or, or another game where there's not the cross play, you know, component to that. And again, things are kind of moving in a different direction. Um, techno technologically, things are easier than they were now. So I'm not even saying this was all done as a as an anti-consumer thing initially. But again, timed exclusives, you know, that it happens. You know, we see that with the Epic Store where they do these year-long timed exclusives with Steam. Um, and now we're seeing these add-on type things where the timed exclusive, in my opinion, is ex too extensive. You know, I can understand a timed exclusive for a couple of months. You know, maybe say well, we're going to release this mode on PlayStation in November, but you're not going to see it until January on Xbox and PC or whatever. And, you know, that happens as part of the business model. I get it. But I also agree that after a year, most people are going to forget or not care. Um, it's going to be something where, it, great, you can get the game super cheap if you want to wait a year to before, you know, to buy it at all. I think ultimately that hurts consumers more. I, I personally think this hurts Ubisoft. I mean, sorry, hurts um, the people from, you know, doing the Call of Duty franchise and the developers as well, because it does limit the amount of uh, money they can bring in, although nobody's going to go broke over this, obviously. Uh, well, but, it, but, but it does. I mean, I just, I, I'm just kind of getting 
I guess I'm just getting kind of, you know, over the whole exclusivity aspect of things. I, I'm at a point now where I, I want to play on PC. I'll just play on PC. If they're going to release exclusive content for PlayStation 5 or whatever, I'll wait. I don't care. Um, but I, I, I do think it's kind of unfortunate for people who are really excited about it. And maybe they just don't can't buy a PS, you know, PlayStation. Or maybe they just don't want to because all their friends are on Xbox or whatever. And those are the people that I think it hurts really the most are the people that actually care about this. And and that's unfortunate, in my opinion. It, it's funny because you mentioned the, the anti-consumerism and the fact that that you, uh, you know, you don't focus on that type of mode. But uh, I think that there is such a buzz for the zombie version of the game that it's going to hurt them more than anything. I am I've been watching a friend of mine who's starting to get into the streaming business. Who is it these days? But um and that was the big thing, the big top of conversation every time he played Call of Duty is what the next Zombies is going to be about. And he plays on Xbox, and now he's he's screwed on it. And I think that you're going to see a lot of these people, and especially streamers, they may not focus so much on Call of Duty next. I, I think this is going to hurt them more than it's going to do them any good. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see what the long-term ramifications of this are. I know one thing that they have going for them is that people will say the amount of free post-launch content for Modern Warfare has been massive. And, you know, we haven't heard, I think, um, what the plans are long-term for Cold War. But, of course, I think it's pretty safe to say there's going to be a lot of new content coming. And I almost wonder if they're going to have to do something and throw a bone to people saying, hey, okay, you got this time thing for the PS4, but you other guys, you're going to get this mode and it's and they're not, and it's going to play it out, which would be nice. But see, again, when PS4, is, uh, PlayStation has got the exclusive contract, you think I just don't see them allowing content to come that they, get, they don't get because, you know, under the DLC umbrella, new maps, new content always appeared first. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention briefly before we move on to the uh, movie and television segment was GTFO, which we have played, very difficult and challenging game, has put out a new update uh, in the early access, and this will bring matchmaking to it. So it used to be you had to have uh, a team. We had to go into various official forums and stuff post, hey, here's my game, wait till you had people, and then go. Now there'll be a matchmaking system, which was uh, long overdue to get uh, people into the games faster. Uh, moving forward, I wanted to discuss the news that at long last we are getting a sequel to The Meg. And uh, we have Ben Wheatley, who uh, recently adapted Rebecca, which is hitting Netflix this week, has signed on to direct the sequel, and apparently... Um, while people will say the original film was more inspired by the book, you know, it was set off the coast of China. The book is actually set um, off San Diego, stuff like that. Uh, but they are going to use the second book, The Trench, as the basis for the next one. We've talked with the author, Steve Alton, in the past, have an interview up on the page. And so it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out, Jason. Uh, Statham is expected to return naturally. And so, um, Justin, do you have a take on this? We haven't heard from you in a bit. What do you think? It's interesting. You know, I, I'll be honest. I did not watch the first Meg. Uh, I did hear a lot of good things about it. Um, so I, I'm curious to see how this one goes. You know, I know that there's a lot of uh, 
there, there's quite a few books in the series, right? So yes, um, so they have a lot to draw from. So I'm I'm curious to see. I, I'm I'm a fan of monster movies, so maybe I should go back and give that one a watch. I think you'd enjoy it. It was actually one of the better uh, aquatic uh, films in a while, and it was definitely enjoyable. And hey, it made 530 million and change worldwide. So. Uh, Justin, or excuse me, uh, Joseph or Michael, or anyone else want to chime in? I'm in the same boat as Justin. Never saw the first one. This is now the first time I'm hearing that it's based on a book series. It just never really caught my attention. I enjoyed it. I mean, again, it's a, it's a fun movie. Uh, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's an action movie with sharks. I mean, um, so I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the sequel. You know, it's one of those things where sometimes you just need to, to escape. And some of these movies are the, are the best way to do that. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, considering how well it did, I think it actually outperformed what there were a lot of expectations that it would. Um, and so, yeah, when a movie outperforms 530 million and change that you can expect a sequel. Um, so, yeah, I'm, you know, it's, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic for it, but those are always kind of a, a fun movie is particularly if it's a, like a fun summer movie to kind of get away for. And the thing about it is it is based on a very popular series of books by Steve Alton and he continually uh, adds to it. He's got a project that is coming out uh, centered around it. But what I think people forget is that there was a long road getting this to the screen. There were a lot of starts and stops. And then when it was finally announced, it was filming, uh, a lot of people, my son is a massive fan of the books. He reads them and rereads them all the time. And they constantly keep, uh, he, you know, he kept saying, well, they're filming it now. Why aren't we getting anything? And then they wrapped the filming and there was the, okay, where's the trailer? Where are the photos from the set? And, you know, then it got, the release date got pushed back and there was a lot of speculation. And then the movie came out. And it was actually uh, good, and it was a hit. And I remember screening it at the IMAX. We had our press screening there. And I remember early on in the film, looking around the packed auditorium, and you saw a lot of people bringing their hands up and tilting the head down and, you know, kind of watching the film through uh, splayed fingers and stuff like that because the intensity was already building. And they were already like, I know something's coming and I don't want to miss anything, but I'm scared to watch it full on. And then as the film unfolded, you saw a lot more of that and people really got in on it. So I think, you know, like anything, we've seen films that have attempted the giant sharks. There's tons of them on streaming right now. Most of them have not been very good. This is the first one that we've had, and I would, I'll go so far as saying since the film Bait or since the original Deep Blue Sea that has come closest to giving people a quality uh, shark on the loose, and I'm not counting open water or anything like that. So I'm really curious uh, to see what they come up with. And we, should also, we should also point out real quick that um, I did an interview with Steve Alton on the website too. So for those who are interested, that's, uh, on the Skinner Reviewed website uh, regarding the first, you know, his writing of the books and regarding the first uh, Meg release. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting because without giving too much away, there are, how do we put it? As I said, the movie was more 
inspired by slash parts of based on than fully based on the book because there was some adaptation to it. Uh, part of it was as to do with the you know Chinese production, co-production, that sort of thing. And what I know of the trench, I'm curious how they're going to swing that over because there are certain aspects that weren't necessarily covered in the first film that are key components of the book. So I'm, you know, interested to see what they do. Another one that is very interesting, and this came out of the blue, is Simon Kinberg, who is producer. He's worked on various pro uh, projects uh, in the Star Wars universe. He has worked on a lot of Marvel films, most recently known for directing X-Men Dark Phoenix. He's been involved with some of the Fox uh, films prior to the Disney acquisition, including the recent attempt of the Fantastic Four. And it was announced this week that he has signed on to write and produce a long-in-the-works adaptation of the Battlestar Galactica movie for Universal Pictures. They've gone on to say this is not um, replacing or connected to the in-the-works new Battlestar Galactica series for the Peacock streaming service. Uh, so I'll open the floor. Uh, somebody who's watched Battlestar Galactica from the day it appeared on ABC television and even went to the theatrical version of the pilot. Who wants to open their thoughts on this? So well, I'm oh, sorry, Joseph, you go first. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I wasn't alive um, at day one, but um, I actually really, I know, I'm sorry. I say, wow. I <laughs> um, no, I actually, well, I might have been. I, I, no, I wasn't. Um, no, I enjoyed the original series, and when I learned of the original sci-fi reboot, I was excited for it, and I actually enjoyed that one as well. Um, I haven't gone off into Caprica or anything like that, but I'm actually pretty excited for this because I, that universe has always been really interesting to me. And just it's so it's it's so simple, but it's not. And it's 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 a very good, uh, complicated, easy story. It's it's weird for me to explain, but it, I've always enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to the movie. But I'm just it's going to be confusing if it's not tied into the series at all. I think it'll be confusing for new fans anyways. Very interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, and I agree. That was going to be my point. I mean, as somebody who grew up with Battlestar Galactica, the show on Sunday nights, I think, is when it was was showing, at least when I was from where I was. That is right. It. No, you're right. Um, you know, and I got to see them when they released, because I'm really old. Uh, I've always loved, and again, I was I was young when this when these came out. I want to say six, seven ish, somewhere around there. Yeah, but all right. But at the same time, I'm. I love that universe, and I, I like the new sci-fi release. You know, it was one of those ones that was a little bit jarring at first because it's so it diverges so much from the original. Uh, again, the original is kind of campy now for those who didn't grow up with it. But I, I've always loved the lore. I've always loved the Cylons. I've always just loved that universe, regardless of how campy it may be or regardless of how they, whatever direction they take it. I've always been a huge fan. So I'm excited for a movie, and I'm excited for the new series. And that was going to be my point. The point that Joseph made is that if they're releasing around the same time, it is going to be, it's going to be confusing. Um, and it's, it, 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 since we don't know a lot about 
what direction both the movie and the new series are going to go. It's going to be confusing for those who are familiar with one or the other probably anyways. I mean, are they going to tie it more to the original series? Are they going to tie it more to the sci-fi uh, you know, reimagining of the series? Is it going to go in a completely different direction? I mean, Battlestar Galactica Universe is, is pretty simplistic in, I mean, relative terms, right? You know, this humans settled other planets, and now they the Cylons come and kill them off, and they have to go back to where they originated from. I mean, it's at its core, it's a pretty simple, um, simple, you know, philosophy that goes along with the movies. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how much they diverge from that, um, you know, in these between the movie and the show. But yeah, that universe has always been one that I've loved. Again, maybe it's because I grew up at the time when you know Star Wars had come out and, and Battlestar Galactica was you know releasing new episodes. I'm a big fan of the Buck Rogers TV show, and if you read watch that today, it's very silly and campy, and you know people today probably wouldn't appreciate it. But at the time, again, growing up in that time, um, that's what we would do. My friends and I would you know play Battlestar Galactica. We'd play Buck Rogers. Um, we had these blocks that we would build battle stars out of, and we'd actually mold the universe, Star Wars universe in with the Battlestar Galactica universe and have them coexist together. So, you know, it's a, it's something that I'm excited about, and, and I really hope they do a good job and they really um, take something unique with the, what's been built and, and expand on it. So I'm excited for it. So let me yeah. ask you real oh, quick, go ahead. Without, without spoiling anything for the people that haven't seen it, were you a fan of the sci-fi ending? No, I don't yeah. think people were. No, and, and it's on. I've been rewatching, kind of been rewatching the sci-fi. I've been watching it on Comet, which is a, a local television channel, um, so I don't catch every episode. But yeah, I was that that last season in general. I think they wanted they took it to, I don't know. It, it took it in a in a direction that I just, I didn't. I wish it hadn't gone in. Uh, again, I, 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 I'll be honest. I, I kind of like it more simplistic, and it got a little cerebral towards the end. Um, and did. I kind of liked it. And I liked it simplistic because of the fact that I was a big fan of the campy show from the late seventies. The original series, 80s. right? Yeah, I, I owned the DVD series of the original before I even saw the, the new series. Um, I'm probably one of the people that actually kind of liked it. I just thought it was a nice, fresh take. I mean, complicated, fresh take. Um, and, and it just added a twist that you just kind of weren't expecting there at the end. And I, you know, I appreciate it for what they were trying to do, I think is, is my part of it. But yeah, I just, just was curious about everybody's opinion on that. It's interesting too, because like Michael, I remember growing up, uh, had the star Wars figures, had the micronauts, had the buck Rogers, had, um, the the battles between them and read my comics would watch any new science fiction thing came out star wars was massive for me and so when Battlestar galactica arrived it was a really big deal on sunday night to have a new thing now of course as you get older you know they recycled the effects from episode to episode to keep the cost down i remember one time i don't remember what i did but i goofed up i think i probably didn't clean my room or something and my punishment was i was not allowed to watch the episode uh, that week, but I was, and of course, this is in the days before DVR and VCRs and all of that. I remember very clearly I was given a chair and I got to sit in the kitchen and I could listen to it, but I was not allowed to watch it. And uh, parents 
sat in the room, watched it, and I didn't. And shortly thereafter, the series was canceled, and I was never able to see the episode until I uh, got the DVD set. Uh, because, you know, the problem was the cost of these series was too much. ABC moved on it, even though it was a ratings hit. They came back uh, about a year and change later with Galactica 1980, which was several years in the future. They found Earth, and it was an extremely, extremely campy uh, production that essentially had uh, children of the producer in it, and the kids went to Earth, and they had superpowers because of the gravity, and uh, da, 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 da. And it, it was a disaster that did not last uh, very long as well. And of course, as we know, the series basically sat dormant. Uh, Richard Hatch attempted to do a reboot. There were comics, there were books, all of this. And now we have it. And you guys are exactly right. There is the risk of when you have two competing projects, how do you run into that uh, without causing confusion? Which leads us directly to our next topic. Uh, Zack Snyder has announced that the Justice League is uh, moving forward with more reshoots, the director's cut. And this week, the, we were told that Jared Leto would be returning as the Joker, last seen in the Suicide Squad. And, of course, this has immediately got people going, well, wait a second. Uh, you know, we already had a passing of the torch. We had a new Joker. He won an Academy Award for this. Why are we going back this way and bringing in someone, especially when their character was not in the original cut of the film? These are all new scenes that are being added in, being reshot. And then, of course, we have the greater picture of the Flashpoint, where there's talk about Michael Keaton might come back and play Batman in one iteration. I've heard, even though Robert Pattinson's away filming his new Batman, that we may indeed see Ben Affleck return as Batman outside of the Justice League project, and here we are opening up a whole line of confusion. So, Justin, do you want to start us off with this since you uh, haven't said anything for a bit? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, the best way I can, fr I can frame this is, uh, uh, like, I don't think Warner Brothers knows what they're doing. Uh, I think what happened with their film franchises, they, they wanted to have an MCU. Uh, it's obvious they wanted to have an MCU type franchise, um, to build off of, but things just didn't really work out for them. And, uh, they're kind of going all over the place. So now we're, now we're kind of at a place where they're sort of continuing and making sequels to movies from their sort of shared film universe. But they're also making standalone films at the same time. And it's really confusing because, um, you know, they made this Joker film, for instance, which, um, you know, was very well received, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, Academy Award out of it. Um, and generally, everybody really liked it. But it's really unclear if it's connected to anything else that they've been doing recently. Uh, you know, you even have people speculating, oh, is it a prequel to the Batman movie coming out? And really, they're kind of dodgy about it, but mostly saying, no, it's like kind of its own standalone thing. And this Batman movie that's coming out is also its own standalone thing. But you also have sequels to like Wonder Woman. Um, you know, recently there was a sequel to Suicide Squad and there's a new Suicide Squad coming out. But I think that's also not I think uh, the James Gunn Suicide Squad might um not be a sequel, if I remember reading correctly. I, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. So it's really kind of it's all over the place. considered a loose sequel slash reboot. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, I think they're just all over the place at this point, and it's just sort of unraveling, because they're sort of making sequels 
to the movies that did well, but they're but the movies that didn't. It seems like they want to kind of go in a different direction than the extended universe that they were creating, but they kind of can't because uh, some of these movies did well, like Wonder Woman did well, and Aquaman did well, so they're gonna make sequels to those. And uh, going back to Justice League, uh, it it seems like that's kind of what's going on here is. There was such a... I don't think they ever intended... There There was no Zack Snyder cut. It's obvious because they're uh, they're going back and doing reshoots. Tons of reshoots. It's almost like a completely different movie. Uh, like, they're having a lot of actors come back. They're doing reshoots. They're spending a lot of money. So, uh, I think it, it's pretty clear that there was no cut of the movie that Zack Snyder did. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, especially if you consider that... Um, you know what happened with that movie uh he exited uh the movie for a personal tragedy and um joss whedon took the reins after that so uh it's i don't see where in the timeline like he would have completed the movie and like a lot of his footage would have just ended up on the cutting room floor i mean i think probably some of it was cut by by joss whedon and who the editors joss whedon was working with but by and large you know i don't i I find it highly skeptical that there was ever like a full cut that jo- uh, Joss Whedon was able, or not Joss Whedon, Zack Snyder was able to complete. So I think what this is, is that there was a lot of people that were unsatisfied with Justice League and they uh, wanted to see what Zack Snyder's original vision was. And that's what this is. Um, and, you know, I think it, it could be pretty good. You know, I was... Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of mixed on, on Zack Snyder. Uh, a lot of his movies I do actually like quite a bit. I, I actually do like Watchmen a lot. I think the Watchmen adaption was pretty decent. Um, and, you know, 300 is pretty good. But, I mean, I'll be honest. I think one of the worst superhero movies I've ever seen was Batman vs. Superman. I really did not like that movie at all. Um, so much so that I didn't watch any of the... Um, other than Wonder Woman, I didn't watch any of the movies after... Uh, Batman or Superman. So I never actually saw the original cut yeah. of, of uh, Justice League. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'm, I'm open, I'm open to it. I'm open to seeing it. I'm open to, um, uh, you know, giving it a chance. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, to bring this back full circle, I just don't really think Warner Brothers really knows what they want to do with their film franchise at this point. Okay, who's next? Yeah, I was going to say pretty much the same thing. Like, Warner Brothers needs to pull their heads out of their asses right now. They need to slow down is what I think they need to do. And I know that they, you know, you have so many years on these owning the licenses for these characters and stuff like that before they go back to, you know, what is it, public use? I don't remember what, what the term is exactly, but, you know, they have to use them in order to retain the rights. Um, but you don't have to crank them out that fast uh you you hit it right on the head they were trying to boot the franchise and some people didn't like you know ben affleck as batman or anything like that but then all of a sudden you had the success of wonder woman and aquaman who are now entangled in all of this other stuff it's flashpoint is their way out but i still think that they need to they need to stop and they need to focus on that movie in order to bring everything else together and I haven't seen Justice League because like you after Batman v Superman, I was like, I'm done with this stuff for now. So I don't know Ezra Miller's portrayal of the Flash. 
but you need a strong person in that role, that center to bring everything together. I think that's in order to correct their universe. I think flashpoint is the way to do it, but they have to do it right. And Michael, do you have a take on this? Yeah. And I, I echo what everybody else is saying. It's unfortunate because DC really um, is my favorite, you know, franchise as far as, you know, I, I always like Batman as being one of my favorite comic book hero superheroes uh, that sort of thing and to be fair their movie presence is just not there uh you know marvel has knocked out of the park and, and i don't know that anybody could do a, the mcu again like they did I, I think it's uh you know we'll see how the the next iteration goes with the characters and say but they, i mean movie after movie after movie they kept it consistent um they they'd really knocked out of the park with who they had um, directing, who they had doing the writing, who they had doing the acting, uh, but they have not had that success um, with the DC franchise. And again, I think they're trying to shoehorn in a they because they wanted to do the, the collective universe. They're trying to they're continually having to rework everything to try to make it fit in that universe. And I think we kind of get a hodgepodge of movies that just don't work. Um, again, maybe because they're still trying to tie it to the overall universe as opposed to just making it a, a one-off movie still trying to add you know just do too much um to try to tie in everything and it just doesn't work um again you can argue that some of the marvel movies were not as strong as others absolutely there were some that were not necessarily great uh, but they still were able to keep that cohesiveness and kind of keep everything going and with the dc side they just don't and they continue to try to say you know, they do these, oh, we're going to reboot it again. And we're like, okay, we're, we're rebooting it. Oh, no, it's going to be a sequel, but it's going to be kind of a reboot. And it's like, okay, so we're basically redoing the movie that we had to try to try to make it fit together again. It's just, it's just not working. So I agree. I think at some point they either need to reimagine what they're trying to do or just stick to what works. And some of the one-off movies, the Wonder Woman movies that are one-off, Aquaman movies, these are ones that are, are they do well because they don't, they're not trying to shoehorn them into this, combined universe yes they're part of it but they they've taken a step back and, and tried to to make it its own thing and i think realistically they have to untangle this mess uh before they can put it back together it's it's very interesting too when you look at you mentioned marvel and obviously we don't know what the timeline for mass um theatrical viewing is going to be i mean obviously you know, you, we've talked uh, ex extensively about Black Widow, about how you can't uh, draw the audience that you need to make a film like this profitable in the theaters. We had reports that MGM tried to sell uh, the upcoming Bond film to uh, both Netflix and Apple TV, but due to the extensive cost of the film, not to mention the advertising budget and the fact that they want to make some kind of profit on it, the price tag, I'm guessing, was probably at least $500 million, which makes that, uh, you know, not a very appealing thing. Uh, but meanwhile, Marvel's still rolling along. They've got the TV series coming to Disney Plus. Black Widow's done. Uh, they just wrapped uh, filming on Shang-Chi. The Eternals is in post-production. And then, of course, we've already got word that the new Spider-Man film has already started some pre-production. There's uh, Morbius and Venom 2, which, yes, I know, are done by Sony uh, and they are Marvel properties. And then, of course, let's not forget, you have all the other things that are coming, such as Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange sequels, all the things like this. And so Marvel is continuing on. 
And it's just going to be a very interesting thing, especially to see how this is received long term. And I think, of course, the big key is going to be how soon numbers can be, you know, to come back to the audience, uh, to theaters. If we're at this point next year and we still cannot have wide release films to large audiences safely, that's going to definitely impact the industry even more so than we are now. I mean, we had the guidelines for Disneyland released and the president of Disneyland came out and said, we're aiming for summer 2021. So this gives you an idea where they are for some of these things. And so it'll be interesting to see how the movie industry goes. Right now they seem to be in the mode of, okay, we can film, let's go ahead and film and we'll worry about the distribution at a later date once the film is in the can because hopefully by the time we finish filming it and editing and the special effects, the world will be in a better place and we can go from there. So I'm going to close this week with uh, this. We had a very long segment this week because we had a lot of topics to cover. But uh, looking for a ray of sunshine, folks, let's not forget this Friday, The Mandalorian Season 2 arrives on Disney Plus, and I've joked to expect the internet connections around the country to break around the world as this happens. So, uh, in closing, gentlemen, does anybody else have anything they wanted to add? All right. Well, that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week. We'll have more stuff for you. And until that time, take care.